Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. This is Reset. I'm Becky Vivi in today for Sasha Ann Simons. It's been one year since the COVID-19 pandemic began. President Joe Biden marked the anniversary with a plan to beat the virus in his first televised primetime address last night. I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent until we beat this virus. But I need you. The American people, I need you. I need every American to do their part. Here in Illinois, more than 10 percent of Illinois residents are now fully vaccinated. In Chicago, about 59 percent of vaccine first doses in the last few weeks went to black and Latino residents. Joining us now to discuss the latest on COVID-19 in our region is Dr. Mia Taramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Taramina. Hi, Becky. Good to talk with you. She is here to answer your questions about COVID-19. So, Dr. Taramina, in President Biden's speech last night, he looked back at the devastating toll that COVID-19 has had on the nation. But he also offered hope for a return to normalcy. Biden is about halfway to 100 days in office. I'd, I wonder what your reaction to his address last night was so far. I think last night's address gave me sort of the most hope I've had in this entire last year. Make no mistake, we've lost more Americans in the last year than there are minutes in the last year. Uh, that's that's the gravity of how many lives have been lost. And we need to be so uh, uh, respectful of that that magnitude of, of this entire pandemic. At present, though, we are finally seeing the light. We are seeing these vaccines get into arms. We are seeing an amplification in the rollout where it's not just expectation of hundreds of doses, but thousands and tens of thousands, millions of doses in order to get to that goal of a hundred million doses in the first hundred days, we would need to have a million doses a day. And we're seeing, you know, this last weekend, we had close to 3 million doses per day administered. We're getting there and to continue on with uh, this it was securing hundreds of millions of doses for the U.S. population, we will ultimately be well ahead of the mark when it compares to um, how vaccine rollout has gone internationally in most other locations. Mm-hmm. Biden says every American adult will be eligible for a vaccine no later than May 1st, which is actually sooner than what local officials had estimated. They had estimated June 1st, you know, May 31st. I'm wondering if you're, what your thoughts are on that and if you think there will be enough vaccines for everyone by May 1st, or if there's going to be a bit of a lag in supply still. Yeah, there will be a lag. Um, you know, we have some states, I know Alaska actually moved forward with a saying vaccine come one, come all this week. Um, and I think other states with uh, smaller populations are to follow in step depending on their supplies. As we continue to distribute vaccine in higher and higher 
higher numbers. I think that it is certainly reasonable that in the next, you know, six or eight weeks, we will see much, much easier access to vaccine. I've been saying for a while that I think we'll be able to get into that tier 1C and start to approach that tier 2 vaccine schedule, uh, you know, as we get into the late spring, even prior to the summer. Will everyone have a vaccine May 1st? No. Will there be enough vaccine to go around? Probably not quite. Will there be enough vaccine theoretically promised and held by the end of May? Yes, it does look like we're going to have enough vaccine for every adult American by the end of May, and it's just a matter of getting them into arms, which is why the president goes on to say July 4th really looks like a turning point where we will have the majority of adults vaccinated by that point, and that's just incredible to look forward to. It's just around the corner. We are so close. Yeah, let's take a listen to what President Biden said about uh, having a normal 4th of July. If we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. Barbecue on the 4th of July sounds wonderful. Um, and I wonder if, if that sounds, you, it sounds like you think that sounds about right. But there are two sort of things I know need to happen for that to be the case. People need to agree to get the vaccine. And also, don't people need to be available to administer it? Even if we have supply, you need people who can actually put the shots in arms. Is that right? Sure, sure. I think by and large, especially with some of these large federal sites and large county sites, we do have the infrastructure in place to to give a lot of vaccine. I have not heard too many examples of, well, we have all this vaccine here and no one to give the shots. I think as more and more vaccine ramps up, we will need more volunteers, more folks to get people through the lines. Um, But I think by and large, especially in more populated areas, the infrastructure is in place. Getting into the far reaches, you know, mobilization of the vaccine into smaller areas might require a little more legwork, and there's going to be a little bit of a lag behind there. I also am very encouraged by the fact that our minority populations are seeing a lot of uptick in vaccine accessibility and getting vaccinated because I fear as we move into the summer months, there is going to be a disparity between those in higher socioeconomic circles being fully vaccinated sort of first in line resource-wise and otherwise. And I I just, I I fear for that. I don't want there to be a long lag in getting to everyone everywhere uh, this vaccine because that's where we need it most. Mm -hmm, Right. And I know there are a lot of efforts in Chicago, driven by the city of Chicago and a lot of community groups to target some of these hardest hit communities, a couple of sites opening this weekend in Austin. Um, So that's good news there. We have a caller, Richard, on the northwest side. He has a question about Um, leftover vaccines. Richard, are you there? I just got my second shot. And as I'm sitting in there, I am one of three people getting a shot with nine stations open. And all these people didn't show up for their appointments. What are they doing with these leftover shots? I mean, obviously, if they were booked every single one, there shouldn't be only three people in the building. Mm. Dr. Taramina, any idea? 
Yeah, we've heard a very little instance of, of shots going in the trash, so to speak. Nearly every shot is, is put into an arm, and it's so critical to do that. Depending on the site, if this was a commercial site, if this was a county site, if this was a federally run site, uh, there are protocols in place. Um, places like the United Center with leftover shots are you know, getting those into mobilized uh, centers in order to get to additional populations to vaccinate. Certain commercial pharmacies, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, have a wait list, even if it's not an official wait list and they're trying to get shots into arms with uh, you know available customers and, and folks that are, are there. Um, I think by and large, there more people are being turned away and told there isn't vaccine for them than there are vaccines that are quote unquote being wasted. I think very little are being wasted. So nearly everyone who's administering vaccine has some, whether it's publicly known or privately known uh, policy for what they're doing with leftover vaccines at the end of the day. And I can assure you, every effort is being made to get every last shot administered. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely heard stories of folks at the end of the day at at Walgreens lucking out, you know, and and getting an extra dose. Um, We do know more about how these vaccines can be stored as well. Um, You know, if they don't open a vial, they can hold on to that vial and use it tomorrow. Um, If they open it, there's about six doses or so that need to be used if it's Pfizer and if it's Moderna, if I if I know if I recall that correctly, um, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker says the Biden administration has delivered on its promises to, of sending more vaccines to states. Um, he's hopeful that we're ending the pandemic, too. And I'm wondering, Dr. Termina, if you believe um, Governor Pritzker's right and if the actual metrics for hospitalizations and deaths and severe cases of covid are um, showing that to be true, that we are coming to the end of this. You know, so far, so good. We've had a stretch of a number of weeks here where we've had our rolling positivity rate hover below 3%, which is so, so encouraging. We are going to see an uptick in numbers, um, especially involving some of the variants, and we will have to be mindful of that as time moves forward here. We are vaccinating at which what potentially can be a pace that far outweighs the ability of this virus to mutate if we can continue with the windfall of vaccines we're supposed to be getting uh, by next week where we're start going to start to get 100,000 doses per day in the state and we're going to start to nationally see that regular 2 to 3 million doses or more administered every day and that you know each infection is an opportunity for this virus to mutate and to, to spread so if we can vaccinate faster than the rate of the spread of this infection, there is that light at the end of the tunnel. And it all all signs are pointing towards just an exponential increase in vaccine availability and our accessibility to this vaccine in the weeks to come. So I think we're uh, poised to see a great series of several weeks here moving forward. Mm-hmm. More states across the U.S., including this week, Alaska, expanding el- eligibility of who can get the vaccine. Let's remind folks, though, today in Illinois, who is eligible for a vaccine, you know, today and next week um, in the immediate future? Who's currently eligible? At, at this time, and, and the issue is there is some kind of interpretation to be had with some of these criteria. Mm-hmm. So, you know, tier one is going to focus on our, our healthcare workers, our first responders, and folks that, uh, that's tier 1A. So our healthcare workers, our first responders, our nursing home residents, by and large, who have had uh, significant access to vaccine and should be vaccinated at this point if they uh, desire to be vaccinated. Moving into tier 1B, we got into other frontline workers like our teachers, our police, fire, post office workers, and folks like 
like those. Uh, we also expanded sort of a bit early to this tier 1B plus category, which allowed for individuals between the ages of 16 and 64 with certain qualifying health conditions, diabetes, renal disease, cancer, um, immunocompromised due to organ transplant, severe lung issues, and the like, being considered as a part of uh, that eligible group at this point. Because we just haven't had enough vaccine, generally state and county sites uh, have been limited in their capacity to give vaccine to these individuals, but certain commercial pharmacies have been able to do so. And as time rolls on here, more and more access to the so-called tier 1B plus individuals has been had. Where the gray areas are, are the question of um, I'm a smoker. Do I count? And, and mm -hmm. the way the interpretation is, is um, if you have underlying lung injury, uh, as determined by your physician, you could have some documentation that you qualify. Or do I have uh, is asthma or hypertension explicitly stated in these health conditions? It's not. But again, at the discretion of your provider, providing documentation that this does lead or beget toward a possibility of a worse COVID outcome, mm -hmm. you could have that documentation necessary for a tier 1B plus vaccine at this time. Right. And that 1B plus, you know, whatever you want to label it, it's basically people who have these underlying conditions as defined by the CDC. Um, it includes cancer, uh, cancer survivors, pregnancy. I actually wanted to ask what the latest recommendations are for pregnant women right now. So all signs are pointing towards no reservations for giving this vaccine and pregnant and lactating people. Uh, certainly we do not have a significant amount of uh, data that was done in the trials involving uh, these individuals in order to achieve that emergency use authorization. But now that tens of millions of people in the U.S. have had both doses of vaccine, including our pregnant patients, we are seeing no issues, no reservations, and all signs uh, point toward uh, COVID itself being potentially more detrimental uh, in, in pregnancy than getting this vaccine. So I personally am recommending it to my pregnant and lactating patients. Oh, good to know. Uh, we have a caller in Ravenswood, Marla. Marla, are you there? Hi, Dr. Taramina. Thank you for taking this question. Um, I have an eight-month-old son at home, and my husband and I have been lucky enough to be able to be very strictly quarantined um, for the last year. And we are, um, I've been able to be vaccinated. He has not yet, um, and we're obviously just waiting for that. But my question is, when we are able to be fully vaccinated, what precautions, if any, should we take around other adults who are not vaccinated yet and then with other children for our eight-month-old son? That's an excellent question. And we did get some guidance from the CDC. We've been kind of waiting on this guidance uh, for the last several weeks, seeing that we are eking closer and closer to that, that much desired relaxation of some of these restrictions. Uh, the CDC updates this week allow for uh, fully vaccinated individuals. And by definition, that's someone that's had two doses of a messenger RNA vaccine plus two weeks or a single dose Johnson & Johnson plus two weeks. So once that is achieved, fully vaccinated individuals can interact with one another without face masks or social distancing, uh, certainly being mindful of smaller groups and things like that. If you're out and about in public 
public and there's going to be larger groups, absolutely distancing and mask wearing is still recommended. We also know that uh, fully vaccinated individuals uh, should be able to interact in small groups, single household uh, with other unvaccinated healthy individuals, which can include healthy kids and healthy young adults that may not have had an opportunity to get vaccinated yet. This means fully vaccinated grandparents can interact with their grandchildren who are uh, are not yet able to be vaccinated. And that includes no mask and no social distancing. So we can go ahead and give those grandkids a hug. Mm -hmm. For young adults uh, that have not yet been fully vaccinated, uh, interacting with other sort of playdates and parent groups, if you keep it to one other family, one other household uh, indoors, I think that's reasonable if everyone is healthy to even be without masks. Uh, But if you have vulnerable individuals or it's larger than one other household you're interacting with, keep it outdoors and keep it distance. And we're about ready to have a nice summer here. Mm -hmm. Speaking of children, Illinois schools um, announced that they can now allow as little as three feet between students and fully vaccinated staff members. This is new guidance from the Illinois State Board of Education and the Illinois Public Health Department that came out early this week. And it was a surprise to many people. Dr. Taramino, what do you think of this guidance? You know, I think that it was in in many ways a long time coming. Um, European models have used that one meter distance uh, for some time with success. All of these social distancing guidelines, the six feet of social distancing and now decreasing that to three feet, all the studies were done uh, with unmasked individuals. Mm. So we are still talking about having masked students and masked staff in these uh, indoor school settings. So three feet with masking has become an acceptable option because we know we are limited by the physical space inside these schools, and we have to weigh the risks and benefits of continuing to keep children out now longer than a year without having a regular school day. So we're, we're definitely there. Um, the by, you know, many, many of our teachers and staff are fully vaccinated or have had at least one dose of vaccine, which is encouraging. And uh, it is becoming reasonable for those fully vaccinated teachers to approach and interact with their students uh, at a little more uh, closer uh, proximity, which is great. Mm-hmm. And we now have, you know, more than a year worth of data to kind of help guide and, and help the CDC adjust and make different guidelines. We have another caller, Anna Marie in Waukegan. Anna, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, go go ahead and ask your question to Dr. Taramina. First of all, thank you to both of you for doing this. Um, I had my first uh, COVID shot, and the literature that was given to me said that um, one should tell the technician giving the shot um, if one takes blood thinners. What is the interaction between blood thinners and COVID, and should people who take these um, do unusual things to protect themselves? That's a great question. That's a very good question. I think that's the first time that's come up. The issue is the fact that this vaccine is going into a muscle. So someone who is getting a uh, poke with a a needle into their muscle may be at greater risk of developing a bruise or hematoma or small bleed. The reason why we ask this question is because those individuals may require a little more pressure held after their injection if they risk bleeding. There's not an interaction per se between the vaccine and any of these anticoagulants. It's simply uh, making sure we hold enough pressure so we don't develop any bleed within the muscle as this injection is given. Dr. Taramina, the European Union approved the Johnson & Johnson vaccine single shot, but other European nations have started suspending the AstraZeneca shots um, over some concerns about blood clots, although no link has been proven. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on with that AstraZeneca uh, shot and, and the blood clots? And I should note, AstraZeneca is not being used yet in the United States. 
Correct. Um, we have had individuals in the U.S. that had a single-dose AstraZeneca abroad and are, are due for a second dose, and we're trying to kind of parse out what we do with those individuals that haven't completed their series. This is a moving topic right now. As of 20 minutes ago, again, reinforcement that the blood clot correlation does not appear to be uh, directly linked uh, to the shot itself. There's been some uh, significant complications. These, these blood clot issues have been fatal in some cases, but it does not appear to be wholly related to the AstraZeneca vaccine. This vaccine is about 63% effective at, uh, per, uh, at preventing uh, COVID illness, but just like the other available vaccines, is nearly 100% effective at preventing severe infection and death. So if and when it can get across the finish line in additional countries and even the U.S., it becomes yet another tool in our arsenal. It is a two-shot series, and the shots appear to be given longer out, meaning the first shot is on day one, and the second shot is between eight and 12 weeks later from the literature that I've read. Um, it's not quite ready for real time and not quite ready for applying for emergency use authorization. We're just seeing phase three data here and these hiccups are going to hold it up a little bit. But hopefully we can tease that out because we are going to need every available approved shot in order to get to the far reaches of, of this world. Before we quickly wrap up here, um, we're out of time, but could you quickly reflect on what one year of this pandemic has meant for you? It has meant no days off and uh, <laughs> a lot of hard work. I have been absolutely um, humbled by the the kinship of all of healthcare and all of individuals in our communities that have just worked together towards this unified goal. We all are tired and we all want to see an end to this. Uh, I literally achieve nothing by having this pandemic go on a minute longer. Mm -hmm. So we are so close to the finish line. Keep doing what you're doing. If you're frustrated because you haven't been able to find a vaccine yet, it's coming. Your vaccine is coming. Um, and I know you've heard that, but I, I do promise you the next two months are really going to see uh, an escalation of vaccination and uh, a return towards what feels more normal with each passing day. So uh, hang tight. We're, we're getting there. Well, we're so appreciative of you for joining us every week here on Reset. That's infectious disease expert Dr. Taramina from the DuPage Medical Group. Thank you so much. Thanks, Becky. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.